0: After the Roman Empire fell in the 400s, Europe plunged into the Dark Ages. Men from so-called barbarian tribes sought to control land in the ensuing power vacuum. And in almost all of these cases, diplomacy was replaced by brutal violence.
1: Men were at the forefront of these battles. Women were expected to be seen, not heard. They were supposed to sow by the fire while their husbands made history to be witnesses to others' greatness, even when it
0: came to royalty. The wives of kings and lords had one job and one job only, to produce male heirs. In order to remain in power, the royal bloodline must continue.
1: However, that didn't mean every noblewoman was content to be an heir-making bargaining chip. Some wanted power for themselves. From bloody wars to ruthless backroom dealings, these women were willing to do whatever it took to get ahead. They put aside their sewing needles and picked up a lance. They betrayed their closest advisors, stabbed loved ones in the back.
0: Many historians have labeled them as merciless, cruel, bloodthirsty.
1: In reality, these women were just as ambitious as their male counterparts. And if they had to crack a few skulls to get what they wanted, so be it.
0: Welcome to Dictators, a Parcast Original. I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Kate. On this show, we're going deep into the minds of some of history's most hated despots. Today, we begin our season on bloody female rulers in the Middle Ages and Renaissance, Isabella of France, Isabella of Castile, and Mary I of England. These three women refused to let the social norms of the era dictate their place in history. They craved power just like the men of their day and were willing to do whatever it took to grasp hold of it.
0: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
1: Today, we're exploring the life of Isabella of France, who was actually the Queen of England from 1308 to 1330. We'll examine her rocky partnership with King Edward II and see what drove her to rebel against her husband.
0: Next week, we'll track Isabella's rebellion and follow its chaotic and bloody aftermath as her rule drives England into chaos.
1: Coming up we'll explore the rise of Isabella of France.
0: They say leaders aren't born, they're made. But in medieval Europe, that wasn't the case.
1: Isabella of France had one purpose in life, to be royalty. No matter how fit she was to be a leader, she was going to be one. And she was thrust into this role when she was only four years
0: old. In the 1290s, Isabella's father, King Philip IV of France, was entangled in conflict with his English counterpart, King Edward I. However, Edward's main focus was a different conflict, a heated war with Scotland.
1: At the time, Scotland was its own independent country. But a succession crisis threw the country into disarray. Capitalizing on the unrest, King Edward stepped in and tried to claim Scotland for himself.
0: However, Scottish King John Balliol had other ideas.
1: To keep from being pulled in two directions at once, King Edward agreed to smooth things over with France by betrothing his son, also named Edward, to King Philip's daughter, Isabella. Their engagement solidified Anglo-French relations and allowed King Edward to focus on Scotland.
0: Considering Isabella was only four when the betrothal was arranged in 1299, There was no rush for her and 15-year-old Prince Edward to wed, even if the Union was only symbolic. But eight years later, the state of affairs became much more urgent.
1: On July 7, 1307, 68-year-old King Edward died on his way to wage a campaign against the King of Scotland. His 23-year-old son immediately succeeded him officially becoming King Edward II.
0: The new monarch inherited a kingdom in turmoil. The war with Scotland had emptied the royal treasury, and although relations with France were much more improved, there was still lingering tension between the two countries over English-controlled land in France. Making matters worse, a decade earlier, Scotland and France had signed a mutual aid treaty. If they both attacked England at the same time, the English wouldn't stand a chance.
1: It was imperative for young Edward and Isabella's wedding to move forward at once. Betrothals could be called off at any moment, but once a couple was married, divorce was practically impossible thanks to the Catholic Church. With Isabella as Queen of England, peace with France would be much easier.
0: The wedding was held on January 25, 1308. 23-year-old King Edward II traveled across to France for the ceremony, which took place at the Notre Dame Church in the city of Bologna.
1: It's impossible to know how 12-year-old Isabella felt about the union, but it's safe to assume that she accepted the union as inevitable. At the time, getting married for the sake of love was a foreign concept, especially for royalty.
0: It's possible she was even excited for her wedding. She had literally spent her entire life preparing for this occasion. She most likely didn't remember a time when she wasn't betrothed to Edward.
1: It didn't hurt that Edward was quite the looker. According to contemporary chroniclers, he was a solid six feet tall and very handsome. He enjoyed physical labor and was described as one of the strongest men in his realm.
0: At present, however, their physical relationship was less important than their diplomatic one. Isabella was still too young to produce an heir, but that didn't mean she wasn't capable of maneuvering her way around the English court. And from the moment she was married, Isabella had to compete with another for Edward's favor.
1: While he was in France for the wedding, Edward had to appoint a regent to take care of day-to-day matters back in England. The expectation was that he'd give the honor to one of his two half-brothers, keeping power in the family. Instead, he appointed the Earl of Cornwall, Piers Gaveston.
0: In terms of bloodlines, Gaveston didn't have much of a pedigree. But he and Edward were extremely close. Edward first met Gaveston in 1300, when he was 16. We don't know exactly why, but in 1307, Edward's father banished Gaveston to France, probably because he and the younger Edward had grown a little too close for comfort.
1: Many historians have speculated that Edward II and Piers Gaveston were lovers. Whether or not that's true, Gaveston, who was a few years older than Edward II, did have significant influence with his prince. The moment Edward II ascended to his father's throne in 1307, he recalled Gaveston from exile and gave him the prestigious earldom of Cornwall. He also arranged Gaveston's marriage with Edward's niece, Margaret de Clare.
0: This unique influence was on full display the moment Edward returned to English soil with his new wife. When he and Isabella landed at Dover on February 7, 1308, Gaveston was there to greet them. According to one chronicler, Edward was so happy he showered Gaveston with kisses.
1: This behavior may seem scandalous, but Edward's affection with Gaveston wasn't the problem. It was that he didn't show the same affection to the other nobles who came to see him.
0: And Edward's preference for Gaveston didn't just come at the other nobles' expense. Most importantly, it was a direct insult to his new queen.
1: Edward and Isabella's official coronation was held on February 25, 1308. Piers Gaveston played a significant role in the proceedings. He was in charge of carrying the royal crown and had the coveted role of walking in front of Edward and Isabella. Instead of wearing cloth of gold as befitting the nobility, Gaveston was draped in royal purple. One observer remarked that Gaveston was more splendidly dressed than the king.
0: And it didn't stop there. At the banquet following the coronation, Gaveston's coat of arms was displayed alongside Edward's while Isabella's was nowhere to be found.
1: We don't know exactly how Isabella felt about this proverbial slap in the face. But even at 12 years old, the insult wouldn't have gone unnoticed. She was, after all, the daughter of a king.
0: In any case, Edward's nobles were plenty angry, even if it wasn't necessarily on Isabella's behalf. Shortly after the coronation, they demanded that King Edward banish Piers Gaveston once again for overstepping his place in the social hierarchy.
1: He refused. Instead of banishing Gaveston, Edward instructed his armies to prepare for war.
0: The military was Edward's only recourse against his own court. He knew that stripping the insolent nobles of their titles would largely go ignored. Only by force could he subdue them. The nobles demanding Gaveston's exile responded in kind. It seemed as though Isabella's reign as Queen of England might only last for a few months. All because King Edward refused to abandon Piers Gaveston.
1: The brewing conflict created a sharp divide in Isabella's family. Her Aunt Marguerite, who was the late King Edward I's widow, took the side of the anti-Gaveston nobles.
0: Isabella's father, King Philip IV of France, also refused to let Gaveston's insolence go unpunished. On May 14, 1308, Philip declared that anyone who took Piers Gaveston's side was his mortal enemy.
1: Perhaps sensing that his wife's loyalties were being tested, Edward awarded Isabella the revenues from Ponthieu, an English-ruled region in France, and he provided her with an independent household of nearly 200 people. This seems to have been enough to placate Isabella.
0: But even with her standing by his side, Edward was outnumbered, and in June 1308, He gave in and exiled Piers Gaveston to Ireland.
1: With Gaveston out of the picture, Isabella took on a more prominent role at court. Even at her young age, Edward allowed his wife to have a say in matters of state, including finances. And on August 16, 1308, the two of them jointly appointed a government official in Isabella's lands of Ponthieu.
0: Isabella's influence was evident in the historical record. Throughout 1308 and 1309, there were several legal pardons and financial grants awarded at the instance of Queen Isabella.
1: Edward regained his nobles' favor, and in exchange for giving them more influence at court, he convinced them to allow Piers Gaveston to return from exile.
0: This promise disappeared upon Gaveston's return. Rather than show humility, the restored Earl of Cornwall lorded his favored status over the other nobles. Gaveston was so petty, he even gave his counterparts belittling nicknames. For instance, he called Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, the Fiddler.
1: But Lancaster wasn't one to be trifled with. On top of being Edward's cousin and Isabella's uncle, he was the richest man in England he especially didn't appreciate Piers Gaveston's insolence.
0: Lancaster was determined to rid England of Gaveston once and for all, even if it meant going up against his niece, Queen Isabella.
1: Coming up, Isabella rides to war against an unexpected enemy. History, politics, true crime. The new Spotify original from ParCast has it all. Hi, it's Kate, and I'm thrilled to tell you about a timely new series called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. If you enjoy the deceits and dramas featured on Dictators, you'll absolutely love what Very Presidential has in store exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, Ashley will expose the personal and professional controversies you may have never known existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as JFK, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and more. Family drama, personal vices, Dirty Secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. If you love the podcast Dictators, make sure and follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Now back to the story.
1: Around June of 1309, 14-year-old Isabella of France had to quietly endure the return of King Edward II's favorite nobleman, Piers Gaveston. However, not everyone in the English court was so accommodating.
0: In March 1310, Thomas of Lancaster, the richest man in England, and a coalition of nobles once again voiced their displeasure with Gaveston's undue influence over the king. Calling themselves the Lord's Ordainer, they demanded to place reforms on Edward's household. If he refused, the ordainers threatened to forcibly depose Edward.
1: As expected, the king refused to give in to their demands. Instead, he raised an army. But it wasn't to fight the ordainers. It was for the still unsettled conflict with Scotland.
0: Even today, many world leaders use military conflict to paper over a precarious political position. King Edward II was no different. His father had never defeated the Scots, so if Edward could subdue them, the nobles who opposed him couldn't argue that he was a weak king.
1: The campaign lasted from November 1310 to August 1311. Fifteen-year-old Isabella accompanied her husband north to the port of Berwick-upon-Tweed, where Edward coordinated his army.
0: But with only three of the eleven English earls supporting him, Edward didn't have the numbers to defeat the now Scottish king, Robert the Bruce. In fact, Edward never even faced Bruce in battle.
1: As a result, Thomas of Lancaster and the other ordainers had the clout to impose massive restrictions on Edward's power. As part of the 41 ordinances, Edward was barred from unilaterally declaring war and couldn't even depart from England without the ordainers' permission. And of course they demanded Piers Gaveston's exile.
0: Stuck between a rock and a hard place, Edward had no choice but to agree. On November 1st, 1311, Gaveston once again left England. And like the first two exiles, the third didn't take. By January 1312, Piers Gaveston was back.
1: Realizing her husband would never abandon Gaveston, 17-year-old Isabella took charge of the situation. While Edward and Gaveston were ensconced together in the city of York, Isabella sent letters to Thomas of Lancaster and other influential ordainers on her husband's behalf.
0: Perhaps realizing that her diplomatic efforts were a lost cause, Isabella joined Edward and Gaveston in the northern English city of York around February 21, 1312. Edward was apparently very grateful to have her by his side. Shortly after arriving, she became pregnant with their first child.
1: We don't know if they actively tried to conceive before this point, or if Edward had even slept with Isabella yet. Edward seemed to have respected the fact that Isabella was far too young to bear children when they were first married. And besides, he was rather occupied with Piers Gaveston.
0: But as of February 1312, He certainly had eyes for Isabella.
1: However, that didn't mean Edward moved on from Piers Gaveston. In fact, he cared so much about Gaveston, he offered to officially recognize Robert the Bruce as King of Scotland in exchange for sheltering Gaveston from Thomas of Lancaster and the Ordainers.
0: Bruce refused the offer. He said he couldn't trust Edward to hold up his end of the bargain. After all, Edward had promised to exile Gaveston twice, and each time he reneged on his word.
1: With Robert the Bruce refusing to help, Edward didn't dare to risk the danger of returning to London. What he didn't realize, though, was that the danger was coming to him.
0: While Isabella, Edward, and Gaveston were holed up in the northern city of Newcastle, Thomas of Lancaster was slowly making his way north. On the surface, he was traveling around the country, hosting jousting tournaments. In reality, he was using the events as an excuse to recruit an army. On May 3, 1312, Edward learned that Lancaster's forces were only a few hours away. They took the king completely by surprise. Edward and Gaveston fled to Scarborough, while Isabella returned to the fortified safety of York.
1: Edward left Gaveston in Scarborough on May 10, 1312, then continued on to join Isabella in York. It seems strange that Edward would abandon him, but Gaveston was sick at the time. He may have been too weak to travel.
0: Whatever Edward's reason for leaving Gaveston was, it was a huge mistake. Shortly after he left Scarborough, Lancaster's allies arrived to besiege the castle housing Gaveston,
1: Gaveston didn't stand a chance. He surrendered after nine days. On May 28, 1312, he was officially taken prisoner.
0: Trapped near York, Edward was powerless to help Gaveston. His captors knew that exiling Gaveston was pointless, and if they imprisoned him, Edward would stop at nothing to get him back. So on June 19, 1312, they murdered Gaveston and left his dead body lying in the road.
1: Edward learned of the execution one week later. He returned to London at once, leaving Isabella behind in York for her own safety.
0: We don't know how Isabella felt about Gaveston's death, but it was most likely a mix of relief and anger. On the one hand, Edward was clearly in love with Gaveston, perhaps even more than with Isabella. But on the other, the ordainers had struck a powerful blow against the monarchy by killing the king's favorite. And by extension, that put Isabella in a precarious position.
1: Civil war seemed inevitable. But a few days before Christmas 1312, both sides stood down. No matter how much Edward loved Piers Gaveston, his grief wasn't worth a necessary bloodshed. And for the ordainers, their mission was already accomplished. All they really cared about was getting rid of Gaveston.
0: Perhaps Edward's willingness to let the insult go came from the birth of his and Isabella's son on November 13, 1312. Also named Edward, the baby boy cemented his father's legacy. The older Edward may have preferred to secure his heir's future rather than risk everything to avenge Piers Gaveston's death.
1: Although 17-year-old Isabella was a new mother she wasn't expected to drop all her royal duties to raise little Edward. Instead, she placed him in the care of a wet nurse. While Edward III's parents spent as much time with him as possible, given their responsibilities, he was raised independently from them in a separate household.
0: With their son uniting them and Piers Gaveston gone, King Edward II and Isabella grew closer than ever. On May 23, 1313, they traveled to France marking the first time Isabella returned to her homeland since her wedding five years earlier.
1: Their deepening bond was illustrated by a near crisis that took place one night while they were staying in the city of Pontoise, one that could have changed the course of history had things gone differently.
0: While the royal couple slept, a fire broke out in their silk-draped pavilion. The flames consumed everything in sight, but before the fire could devour the royal couple, Edward leaped into action. He scooped Isabella into his arms and carried her to safety.
1: This isn't to say that he wouldn't have tried to save Isabella if he didn't love her. But it was affection, not duty, that propelled his actions that night. Chroniclers such as Joffrey of Paris remarked that Edward saved Isabella because love made him do it.
0: They had come a long way from Edward not even bothering to hang Isabella's coat of arms at their coronation.
1: Their growing partnership seems to have spurred Edward's willingness to make peace with Thomas of Lancaster and the lords who killed Piers Gaveston. Upon returning to England, Edward officially pardoned them on October 16, 1313.
0: In the records from this mass pardon, Edward made sure to specifically call his wife Our very dear lady, Lady Isabella, Queen of England.
1: Isabella had taken on a prominent role in affairs of state. Edward trusted her so much, he even allowed her to conduct important negotiations on her own.
0: In late February 1314, 18-year-old Isabella was sent to parley with her father, King Philip IV of France, over issues relating to the English-controlled Gascony region in France. The two countries had traded the area back and forth over the years, and there was still some legal wrangling taking place over the deal.
1: The negotiations appeared to have gone well, and Isabella's diplomatic efforts allowed Edward to focus on other, more pressing matters. Once again, trouble was brewing with Scotland.
0: King Robert the Bruce of Scotland had grown bold and was leading incursions into England. In June 1313, Bruce's men encircled the strategically important Stirling Castle, which guarded a crucial crossing over the River Forth.
1: Edward couldn't let such an insult go unanswered. In the spring of 1314, he planned a campaign to defend Stirling Castle. However, like his last foray north, only three earls signed on to Edward's mission. Most notably, Thomas of Lancaster refused to join the mission.
0: Normally, this insolence would be punished, but even after forgiving the ordainers, Edward didn't have the political capital to bend Lancaster to his will.
1: Even so, enough noblemen joined the cause for Edward to move forward with the plan. Isabella traveled north with him and waited in the port city of Berwick-upon-Tweed.
0: Once again, Edward's effort to defeat Robert the Bruce was a spectacular failure. At the Battle of Bannockburn, Bruce's men overwhelmed Edward's cavalry, which got bogged down in the marshy terrain.
1: On June 27, 1314, Edward returned to Berwick-upon-Tweed in humiliation. Instead of arriving at the head of a triumphant army, he limped back in a borrowed fishing boat with only a few men by his side.
0: The humiliating defeat allowed Thomas of Lancaster to move against Edward. With Edward's forces depleted, Lancaster was able to force the king to replace his household officers with men sympathetic to himself. He also compelled Edward to accept a paltry allowance of 10 pounds a day.
1: While this was a large sum for the time, it paled in comparison to Lancaster's income, which was a staggering 11,000 pounds per year. Essentially, Edward was at his rival's
0: mercy. In early 1316, Lancaster asserted his increased power. At a meeting of Parliament on February 12th, he bullied his way into being named the Chief of Edward's Council. Edward didn't take this appointment well. In August 1316, the two men had a furious face-to-face argument and the relationship deteriorated even further.
1: Perhaps as an olive branch, Isabella asked her uncle Lancaster to be the godfather of her newborn son, John.
0: He refused. Despite this slap in the face, Edward and Isabella kept trying to mend fences. This fraught relationship was approaching the point of no return. If something didn't change, England would likely descend into a civil war.
1: According to the Chronicle of the Life of Edward II, Twenty-three-year-old Isabella took charge in brokering peace. Though it's unclear exactly what she did, it's possible she was responsible for organizing a coalition of nobles who shepherded the truce the two men agreed to on August 7, 1318.
0: In exchange for Edward promising to uphold the ordinances imposed on him in 1311, Lancaster agreed to stop holding armed assemblies. It seemed as though the kingdom was unified and peace would come to England.
1: But as one rival receded, another one emerged.
0: But this new enemy wasn't a threat to Edward. He was a threat to Isabella.
1: Coming up, Isabella faces another challenger for her husband's affections. Now back to the story.
0: On August 7, 1318, Thirty-four-year-old King Edward II finally made peace with his rebellious cousin, Thomas of Lancaster. Edward's wife, 23-year-old Isabella of France, was instrumental in settling their feud.
1: Isabella had come into her own in the decades since becoming Queen of England. She was no longer relegated to the sideline by Edward's companion, Piers Gaveston. She was a force in her own right, and much of the kingdom's prosperity was thanks to her. But in 1318, all that progress was undone when Edward appointed a new Chamberlain, Hugh Dispenser the Younger.
0: Dispenser was married to Edward's niece, and by becoming his Chamberlain, he grew even closer to the king. All access to Edward went through Dispenser, and the new Chamberlain took personal advantage of that connection. He gained significant influence at court by requiring a bribe in exchange for an audience with Edward.
1: Edward either didn't know about this or didn't care. Dispenser quickly became his most trusted advisor, and perhaps even more. Rumors swirled that Dispenser was Edward's lover.
0: By this point, Isabella was used to her husband's affection for men. In addition to his romance with Piers Gaveston at the beginning of Isabella's reign, Edward had indulged a rotating cast of male favorites in the years since Gaveston's murder. None of this particularly seemed to bother Isabella. Although Edward's dalliances may have been annoying, none threatened her position of power. Edward always treated Isabella with the respect she deserved as his queen. However, he failed to show the same deference to the nobles at his court.
1: Just like Edward had done with Piers Gaveston, he showed far too much favoritism to Hugh Dispenser the Younger. In October 1320, he gave Dispenser lordship over the valuable Gower Peninsula in southern Wales. He did so at the expense of several nobles who had better claims to the land.
0: These lords were known as the Marchers because the land between England and Wales was called the March. And in December 1320, they marched back to their castles and vowed to overthrow Hugh Despenser the younger.
1: Their leader was a familiar face, King Edward's cousin, Thomas of Lancaster. Though he barely had any land in the march, Lancaster was more interested in resuming hostilities with Edward than in protecting any Welsh holdings.
0: The marchers demanded that Edward exile Hugh Despenser. Unsurprisingly, Edward resisted. Instead of giving in to the marchers' demands, Edward raised an army on March 1, 1321 and left to confront his rebellious underlings.
1: In the past, Isabella would have accompanied Edward as his trusted partner. But this time, he left Isabella behind. Instead, Hugh Dispenser accompanied him to face the marchers.
0: Without Isabella at his side, Edward failed to mollify the marchers. Instead, he only antagonized them further. On May 2, 1321, he made Dispenser the custodian of Marlborough Castle. Although it wasn't located in Wales, just the act of giving him more land was a slap in the marchers' faces. And they responded in kind.
1: Two days after the Marlborough Castle designation, the marchers attacked Dispenser's holdings in southern Wales. These actions kicked off what was known as the Dispenser War.
0: After mercilessly looting the Welsh countryside, the marchers turned their attention toward London. Parliament was scheduled to meet in mid-July, and the marchers wanted to use their influence to force Edward's hand.
1: They arrived in London on July 29, 1321. With their armies surrounding the city, they demanded Hugh Dispenser the Younger's exile— if Edward refused, they would forcefully depose him.
0: And yet, Edward still refused. Isabella realized the severity of the situation. With her throne at risk, she threw pride out the window and literally begged Edward to cede to the marcher's demands. Edward saw reason. He agreed to exile Dispenser.
1: But it wasn't a promise he intended to keep. The moment Dispenser left, Edward started plotting ways to facilitate his return.
0: In order to bring Dispenser back, Edward needed more people to join his cause, which meant he needed public sentiment to be on his side. Twenty-six-year-old Isabella was a crucial part of his plan to get it. No matter how much Isabella disliked Dispenser, she actually hated the marchers more. Edward was still her husband. A threat to him was a threat to Isabella.
1: Around October 13, 1321, Isabella stopped at Leeds Castle for the night during a pilgrimage to Canterbury. The castle belonged to Lord Bartholomew Battlesmere, who was aligned with the marchers. But as Queen of England, Isabella had the legal right to demand shelter for the night.
0: Even so, Lord Battlesmere's wife, who was watching the castle while her husband was away, denied Isabella's request just as the king and queen had hoped. In response to this insult, Edward ordered a siege
1: of Leeds' castle. Unlike his previous forays to Scotland, almost every English earl came to fight for Isabella's honor, with the notable exception of the troublesome Thomas of Lancaster.
0: The castle fell in a matter of days. Even though the marcher's army was still four times bigger than Edward's, momentum was firmly on the king's side. In early 1322, Edward's forces seized two of Thomas of Lancaster's castles. Around the same time, the royal army captured prominent marcher Lord Roger Mortimer of Wigmore.
1: With Lancaster severely weakened and Roger Mortimer in irons, Edward was back on top. On March 3, 1322, he allowed Hugh Dispenser the Younger to return to England.
0: As Lancaster's army retreated, Isabella wrote to the sheriffs of Cumberland and Yorkshire to intercept him. Their combined forces met Lancaster at the town of Boroughbridge on March 16, 1322.
1: Thanks to Isabella's brilliant strategy, Lancaster was captured in the battle's aftermath. He was sentenced to death shortly after.
0: Edward purposely had Lancaster's execution mirror Piers Gaveston's. The king forced his cousin to ride atop a mule to the summit of a small hill, where he was then beheaded. Records show that Isabella was probably there to witness it.
1: With the marchers defeated, Edward confiscated their lands. However, Isabella didn't receive any of the spoils. Instead, almost all of the rewards went to Hugh Dispenser the Younger.
0: In the aftermath of the war... Isabella's influence dwindled as Dispenser's grew. In 1322 and 1323, she practically disappeared from the historical record.
1: It seems that even though Isabella played a crucial role in Dispenser's return, she was still being punished for asking Edward to exile him back in 1321. And Edward's preference for Dispenser over her wasn't just a blow to Isabella's honor, it put her very life in danger.
0: In late 1322, Edward organized yet another campaign against his northern nemesis, King Robert the Bruce of Scotland. As always, it was a catastrophic failure, and this time Isabella got caught in the crossfire.
1: As Edward retreated from the northern border, Bruce led a counter-invasion into England. Isabella, who was staying in Tynemouth at the time, was trapped about 80 miles north of Edward's position. She was certain that Hugh Dispenser was guilty of falsely and treacherously counseling the king to leave her in peril.
0: Thankfully, Isabella managed to reach safety before Robert the Bruce's men arrived. But what she perceived as her abandonment left a bitter taste in her mouth, and it never went away.
1: After the failed 1322 Scottish campaign, things went from bad to worse for Edward. On August 1, 1323, marcher Lord Roger Mortimer escaped from the Tower of London and fled to France. And thanks to renewed tensions between Edward and the French king, Mortimer was welcomed with open arms.
0: By now, Isabella's brother Charles had ascended to their father's throne. Since Edward controlled the lands of Ponthieu and Gascony in France, he technically had to pay homage to the new king. But as a monarch in his own right, Edward didn't want to kneel to a man he considered his equal.
1: As the two rulers played chicken over this symbolic ceremony, those tensions bled into the two countries' diplomatic relations. Things were particularly troublesome in the English-controlled French village of Saint-Sardoz.
0: Which country had jurisdiction over the small town had been a matter of contention for years. But things finally came to a head on October 15, 1323, when a French soldier placed a stake in the middle of the village, claiming it for France. In retaliation, the local English lord hanged the French soldier and burned down Saint-Sardos.
1: The French king took matters into his own hands. On July 5th, 1324, he seized Edward's holdings in France. And with that, the War of saint sardos commenced.
0: On July 21st, Edward arrested every French subject living in England. He confiscated their possessions, claiming it was payment for the income he lost from his French holdings.
1: This extended to Isabella. Edward confiscated his own wife's lands in Cornwall and in the counties of Oxfordshire and Wiltshire.
0: Although we don't know exactly how Isabella reacted to this insult, she seems to have put on a brave face. In early 1325, she agreed to go to France in an attempt to arrange a peace between her husband and her brother. After
1: being sidelined for years, 30-year-old Isabella was finally back in the game. She was being trusted with the most important diplomatic mission of
0: her life. Even though Edward had neglected her during the past few years, he still had a great deal of faith in his wife. But perhaps he shouldn't have trusted her.
1: Although Isabella left England as a diplomat, she would return as a conqueror.
0: Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll follow Isabella's stunning turn on Edward and their battle over the English throne.
1: Among the many sources we used, we found Isabella of France, The Rebel Queen, by Catherine Warner, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Dictators for free from your phone, desktop or smart speaker.
1: To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Alex Benedon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. If you love the podcast Dictators, don't forget to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.